as of today, Thursday, May 6, there are 274 days to go until Beijing hosts the Olympic Games next February. And while the focus of the world, or at least the part of it that focuses on the Olympics, is on the Summer Games in Tokyo, Beijing is making news of its own. To make sense of it all is China Sports Insider Mark Dreyer from ChinaSportsInsider.com. The China Sports Insider is here. Mark Dreyer, ChinaSportsInsider.com. Thanks for making the trek over. Did you uh, did you find the place okay? I did. It was about what maybe two hundred and fifty meters. So so managed to not get lost. <laughs> Super unusual for Beijing. Um, so let's let's talk about your website. Well, what is ChinaSportsInsider.com? Well, let me go back a little bit further. I came to China uh, to cover the Beijing two thousand eight Olympics. Uh, I came just for one year. I never imagined that I'd be here for, for another Olympics, of course, coming up. Um, and I was sort of working in various sport and media related jobs. And I actually was working, uh, uh, I covered the Beijing Games and then went to the uh, Vancouver Olympics as well. And also the London Olympics. And I came back from London to 2012. And I was working with uh, Xin, the financial media. And of course, there wasn't a whole lot of sports going on, but there were some some stories where I thought, you know, sports industry and sports and business, and and kind of thought, you know, that intersection is uh, is quite interesting. It was sort of I was learning more about the the, the industry side and the, and the business side, and I didn't think there was really much of a place for you know pure sports, you know, like so and so one two one, you know, here's here's who's here's who scored, right? You know, there's there's plenty of other people doing that, but I thought analysis of the industry, kind of the wider context um, was what I started to do. And I have to say, I started with a different website called The Leaning Tower. Now, I thought this was a clever name at the time. I'd heard, I remember some joke, hearing some joke about, you know, some Italian restaurant called The Leaning Tower of of pizza instead okay, of pizza. I, now I get leaning it. Tower okay. pizza. And I thought, yeah. oh, perfect, because leaning the sports company and the athlete and so on, it was he was the guy who famously lit the torch at the 2008 Olympics flying around the stadium. And so I came up with the leaning tower. I thought, oh, I'm very, very pleased with myself. And then for various reasons, I quickly got rid of that and changed into China Sports Insider, which is a bit more sort of, sort of explanatory, I suppose, because... Number one, I thought, well, if this ever gets big, then Leaning's probably going to come after me. Number two, um, Leaning, the company, was actually, you know, talking about bankruptcy. They were having a horrendous time at that particular time. They've since recovered and done much better. And then number three, it was just a far too clever or, or stupid <laughs> name. So, so China Sports Insider, and here we are. What will readers find on China Sports Insider? I tried to cover pretty much anything and everything. I think I was aware of, of trying to provide some sort of window for overseas, it's obviously in English, um, for, you know, for overseas observers of sports industry and, and, and um, related. There have been certain stories that have really kind of, uh, I think, picked off, uh, picked up and, and kind of not, not gone global. But when uh, Chinese companies started to buy European clubs in around 2016, that was a big story. A lot of European media in particular wanted to kind of know what was going on in the Premier League and there was some some clubs that were bought there as well. There was another story and I think it was 2017. It was actually when it was Trump's first visit. So yeah, it was 2017 I think and it was a 
uh, UCLA were over here to play an NCAA game in Shanghai. And I don't know if you remember this story, but uh, long story short, three of the UCLA guys got caught shoplifting in Hangzhou. Uh, and it was a crazy story. And it just went completely global because everyone was following this. Trump was over here at the time, his first state visit to China. He said he was getting involved, speaking to Xi Jinping about negotiation, their release. Um, there was this guy called uh, LeVar Ball, who, um, and one of his sons was one of the trio. So he was kind of holding press conferences about this, and he was kind of having this war of words with Trump in the media. And yeah, it, it was a completely crazy story. Uh, but a lot of people were following it from the US. Um, so one of the reasons I got so excited about when I, when I discovered or when I saw your website was that you know, so often when people outside of China um, talk about sports and politics in China, it's it's skin deep. It's just, just there's some real inaccuracies there. And, and you wrote about this a couple of years ago in a column that you wrote, um, which is called uh, Why You Should Take Headlines from China with a, a Sack of Salt. Why did you write that column? I think I just got fed up with, with like you said, seeing all these inaccuracies. The number of times I've I've heard or read, and and this is a small detail, but to me it's kind of it's important. The number of times I've heard people saying, "Oh, Xi Jinping has promised that China will win a World Cup by 2050." Now that is not true. He's got three wishes for Chinese football, three dreams for Chinese football. One of which is to win a World Cup, and then separately there's a policy that aims not to win a World Cup by 2050, but to become a global superpower, whatever that means in footballing terms by 2050. Again, it's a big, noble goal. Who knows whether they'll get there. But Xi Jinping would never be so silly as to make that kind of prediction. I mean, you know, everyone's trying to win the World Cup. It's just far too competitive a sport. If China can get up to the top level, then great. That would be considered success, I think. But but that was just kind of one of many examples. But it gets repeated. And then, of course, people search online and they read it one place. And so they repeat it. And all, you know, no specific examples spring to mind, but but top media have 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 trotted this out on a regular basis. And then you have things like uh, we okay the Winter Olympics. This is a good one. Three hundred million. Three hundred million seems to kind of be a recurring stat in in the China sports landscape. When it comes to the Olympics, it's three hundred million people involved in winter sports. Now that seemed to me a little bit high that's um you know a quarter roughly uh, or more of the of of the, the entire chinese people of course there's only a certain number of of ski resorts even though there are some dry land um you know resorts in the south and and some ice rinks and so on and i remember asking a, an official who was in, involved with the with the bid this was pre um uh 2015 which was the year that china got the bid for, for won the bid to host the 2022 games uh, and so this was part of the, you know, boosting boosting China standing, um, you know, give us the games and, and this will revolutionize winter sports. Now, that as a concept, I think, could still be true. I've witnessed in the last few years, millions of people have taken to the slopes for the first time. You see slopes which are full and that's usually beginners. This is a great thing for the sports industry, but it doesn't necessarily mean that 300 million Chinese people are going to be skiing and skating. And I asked a Chinese official this, and he said, oh, no, 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 it was it was confusion. It was actually referring to the population of the northeast of China, which is China's traditional winter sports hub. Now, 
you'll never see that written anywhere in print. It's all 300 million people are going to be skiing and skating by 2022. Again, I don't think anyone ever said by 2022 uh, as well, but they're just kind of assuming there's the Olympics and so on. So some of these big numbers just kind of irked me, you know, <laughs> it just kind of annoyed me. So I had to write about it. And, and I can tell you firsthand that I, 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 there absolutely are many, many new skiers on the slopes yeah. in China. And um, that is a great thing, as you said, but it's also kind of a scary thing <laughs> when you're on there. But anyway, I, as with anything, just give it time. Well, the world is really focused on the Tokyo Olympics, yeah. which is coming up really, really soon. But the Winter Olympic Games in Beijing are just 39 weeks away now. Um, that's the length I was reminded this morning of the average pregnancy. <laughs> Wow. So, so let's see if, I can, see if I can come with a parallel for that. I'm not sure. Good one, though. So let's go through some of the issues you've been writing about. First of all, I want to talk about Rule 50. What is Rule 50? Okay, well, in very basic terms, it governs uh, an athlete's right to protest and a sort of freedom of expression when it comes to the Olympics. So we're talking about on the field of play, on the podium, in the Olympic village, and also, you know, press conferences and so on. So any kind of Olympic venue, what are they allowed to do? And, and, and historically, they haven't really been allowed to do much at all. And so because of a lot of social justice campaigns, particularly Black Lives Matter within the US, um, athletes getting very, very involved and in making stands, whether it's, um, you know, taking a knee or, or, or wearing a slogan or, or speaking out at press conferences before and after games and so on. Um, this has become a big issue. The Olympics are not blind to this. And so they thought, well, we need to revisit this and see where we're going. Now, they did revisit it. And probably to no one's great surprise, they largely concluded that uh, things are going to continue as they are, which means no real protests. Um, and I think they've said you're allowed to express your opi opinion in a press conference afterwards, but you're not allowed to make a gesture or do anything or wear something that could be seen as political. So we see in other sports, you know, Lewis Hamilton might wear a cap or a T-shirt after a race um, supporting Black Lives Matter. That would be something that would not be allowed at the Olympics. You make a great point on your website uh, that there could be an incentive for some athletes to violate Rule 50. Um, what would those incentives be? Well, there's not going to be... Uh, you know, guards standing by the podium pre preventing people from, from taking a knee or, or putting a fist in the air, as we saw famously in the Mexico Olympics, uh, you know, more than 50 years ago, there's a, a black power salute that people still talk about. Um, those Olympians became famous in, in, in history because of that. Um, think of all the Olympic champions that there are from, from, from your country or any other country. Very, very few are remembered after that moment. So if someone wants to really take a stand, there's actually an incentive for them to do so, right? They could become a story, one of the big stories of the games by doing this. Now, we're going to see what happens in Tokyo because a lot of these issues are global issues. Uh, and so we'll see what happens at the Tokyo Olympics, whether people do or not. Uh, but there are a specific set of issues unique to China um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of political issues at play. Uh, and so, again, not, not, I, I'm not making any statement kind of encouraging or not uh, whether people should be doing this. But, but the incentives are there in terms of uh, because they're not allowed to and, and, and because there's, there's nowhere else for them to do this. Who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> Who was pushing the this? Um, 
That's a great question. I, I mean, you look at some of the big sports federations, the IOC, um, FIFA, you know, and, and they're all pretty similar. They're not exactly the most forward thinking organizations. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not stupid. They, they have been trying to, the IOC in particular with the Olympics, they've been trying to engage a younger generation. They've been trying to get younger sports in there. They've been talking about even esports, even though it's still a, a little bit of a way off, I think. Uh, but things like surfing, you know, rock climbing, you know, new sports, three-on-three basketball. This is, again, this is a good thing. They, they, they do see the trends. It's just, it, it, it's, it is really difficult. They, they talk about how, well, politics don't have a place at the Olympics. But yeah, that, that, what they mean by that is politics don't have a place when we don't like what those politics are about. Because Thomas Bach, the current IOC president, was pretty much claiming credit for the two Koreas marching uh, under a unified flag into 2018 in the in the Winter Olympics in in Pyeongchang, so that's a clear example of of politics and sports being a a force for good. You know, I think that's what people are frustrated about: promoting using this platform to promote um, causes that they care about. Uh, athletes are expected to be role models in every facet. So, but again, it, it's it's tricky. You start people kind of taking over the podium, and and again, that that does. Perhaps say you got a bronze medalist and they're protesting on the on the podium. Well, what about the person you know whose moment it really is on, on the top step winning gold? You know, so so it is a tricky balance. So let's talk about boycott watch, which is uh, now a regular section on your website. Last week, the U.S. Senate was considering a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics. Can you help me with this? What is a diplomatic boycott? It basically means not sending leaders, uh, you know, heads of state to the uh, to attend the Olympics. That doesn't sound like a big deal to me. It's not a big deal, and and honestly, I wish people would stop referring to that as a boycott because a boycott to me is when you know athletes don't compete. We think of you know the nineteen eighty Moscow Olympics when the U.S. didn't go. Um, and then uh, in retaliation, four years later, the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics, the Russians didn't go. Um, and there have been, been a handful, but, but, but a small number. Um, Obama didn't attend the opening or closing ceremonies in, uh, in Sochi in 2014. You know, and that was a deliberate decision. And he sent Billie Jean King, the uh, well-known gay tennis player, basically as a statement against some of the anti-gay stuff that was happening in Russia. So it was a very deliberate move. And no one talks about the US boycotting the 2014 Olympics. So, but it's one level of what companies, oh, sorry, what countries might do when it comes to Beijing. And I just want to be clear, I don't want there to be a boycott because I want the games to happen. I love sports. I love the Olympics. So I'm looking forward to that. The reason I'm kind of covering it is because it's it's what everyone is talking about. I wish there was a, a, a few more sporting angles to talk about, but uh, that's kind of top of the agenda at the moment. Absolutely. And I agree with you. And, and, and I, to be honest, though, I just don't see a boycott, an athletic boycott happening. What, what do you think? What are the chances of it happening? At the moment, I think it's pretty slim. Um it's hard to put a it's hard to put a, a number on it. But I was talking to someone in in talking to someone in DC a few weeks ago, and he was saying, you know, look, yes, that's the case, but things can things can change pretty quickly. Um, you just don't know what's around the corner. Um, so so who knows? I, hopefully, it's it's going to be a fairly minor issue by the time we get there. And and I think one point that I'd like to make is 
ahead of every game. And I covered basically all that kept a, attended, you know, three games as an accredited journalist, but sort of kept a close eye on, on pretty much all the other ones in my life. Before the game starts, it's all these sort of more negative stories that people focus on because there's, there's no sports because <laughs> it hasn't started yet. We saw that in Vancouver. People, Absolutely. You know, I you remember know, that. Yeah. London, you know, of course, Beijing as well. And then when the game starts, you know, that, that all kind of melts into the background and, and away we go. So it's a long build-up, a slightly painful build-up in, in many ways. But, um, you know, that's, that's why it's, like I said, in the, in the, in the headlines. When we come back, I ask Mark about the heptathlete, formerly known as Nina Schultz, who now competes for China as Zhang Ninali. The Beijing Sessions takes the pulse of English language culture in China. That's the goal anyway. Musicians like Ember Swift and Zhang Sun, writers like Paul French and Edward Rutherford, filmmakers, journalists, they've all come through and I think we've had some incredible conversations and there's so much more coming. So if you haven't already, subscribe to The Beijing Sessions. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and now you can finally find us on Google Podcasts. And to help people discover the show, consider sharing those links and episodes on your Facebook or Twitter pages. Okay, back to my interview with Mark Dreyer. A lot of the venues that were built for 2008 are being recycled for the 2022 games, but but not all of them. Yeah. Um, I was at Chongli back in December, and that's where some of the downhill events, I believe, are going to be held. And the high-speed train is incredible. Um where is Beijing with everything else? As far as I know, everything's ready to go. I mean, I think the one thing the IOC knew when they when they awarded Beijing the games was that they wouldn't have to worry about any of, any of this stuff. They knew that logistically it would be um, a fantastic event. It would be extremely well run. They proved that in 2008. Uh, obviously, Winter Games is, is a, a smaller scale, but with the reusing of the venues, that, that's been a benefit as well. And I think... Despite COVID, which has prevented them from doing the regular warm-up test events, that's been a little bit tricky. But they are trying to try to squeeze some of those in towards the end of this year. So um, we'll wait to see whether those actually do take place. But I hope that they can. Uh, for some sports, it's really important for the athletes to, you know, if you talk about sliding, so that skeleton, luge, and, and and bobsled, it's a brand new track. And you're going down at crazy speeds, you know, 80, 90 miles an hour. And if you haven't raced on this track or competed on this track before, it's really properly dangerous, even for the for the best athletes in the world. And so just to get some some practice runs in, you can't just turn up the week of the Olympics and do a couple of run, runs and then go for it. So they need to come in ahead of time. They need to, to practice, learn the track. Um, and then, of course, with the other with the other um, sports as well, just being in the venues it will help. So do Chinese athletes get access to these tracks? Oh yeah. They they've been training on they're training on them constantly every single week. They they they'll be in the sliding center. I mean that's the benefit of wow. of of hosting an Olympics. Your own athletes get a huge advantage. When will foreign athletes be able to do that? So it at the moment and again this is kind of tricky but it looks like we're moving towards more of sort of mutual uh, recognition of vaccines. There's talk that the uh, the BioNTech vaccine will be improved in China, perhaps uh, in July, 
And then we still don't exactly know if that means people can come in or not. Maybe they'll have to quarantine. Um, but maybe they'll be easier for people to come in towards towards the autumn uh, uh, for, for, for the test events or at least some training. Um, I, have, I have heard that China can't mandate that the athletes for the Olympics themselves have to quarantine. So that is something that is going to be really tricky for the authorities here to uh, to figure out. They'll have to presumably do some sort of bubble. Maybe they'll they'll ask that everyone is vaccinated. I'm not sure if they'll be able to require that or not. But I suppose you could kind of put it on the athletes and say, look, you can come in, you can stay in your bubble, and if you test, we'll test you every day. And if you're positive, well, then you're kind of out. And you and people couldn't really have too much of an issue with that. And so it's 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 then putting the responsibility on the athletes to, you know, take care and 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 be responsible and and not not to catch covid that is fascinating i did not realize they could not mandate quarantining or necessarily uh vaccines because because i guess my gut my gut feeling was that you know if the western vaccines are approved in china and if the chinese vaccines are approved in the west then that sort of is this route to opening up well that could open up beforehand for the vaccines i don't know the situation uh, for the Olympics, but I think the quarantine is off the table. Okay. Now, of course, anyone else coming in might have to do it. So the athlete, uh, so the officials and coaches, and um, certainly spectators, if they allow foreign spectators, uh, which which of course Japan is uh, is not doing. Exactly. So so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it could it could be a very local Olympics. It could be. Um, you know, Winter Olympics is a, typically a smaller, well, it is a smaller affair. There's just fewer sports. It's outdoors as well, which makes COVID a little bit less, you know, of course, there's some indoor venues, but... Um, well, there's the ice hockey. There's yeah, speed yeah, there's curling. There's, 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 there's actually quite a lot, but the, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the ice events, I suppose, are indoors. The, the, the snow events, you know, the outdoor spaces, so it's less of a worry. Um, but we're, I, COVID's not going away anytime soon. Can we talk about Nina Schultz? Who is she? Or I guess her name is Jeng Nina Li now. You wrote about her back in March. So who is she? She is uh, a Canadian-born uh, heptathlete uh, who grew up um, just outside of Vancouver, I think. And uh, she has she has a Chinese mother and a German father. Uh, in fact, her uh, grandparents were both uh, national-ranked athletes uh, in China. And her grandmother... Uh, was the uh, the high jump champion of China and actually broke a world record uh, back in the day, back in the 50s. Um, and yeah, so she kind of has this sporting heritage and also, you know, part Chinese. And she has actually switched over to compete for China, hopefully, um, at, the, uh, uh, at the Tokyo Olympics. Now, she still has to make the qualifying uh, mark which is pretty strict. I was looking at the marks for for, um, uh, for Tokyo versus Rio, and it's actually 200 points higher than it was four years ago. Uh, but she's really good. She won, competing for Canada, she won a, a silver medal at the Commonwealth Games in, in 2018. So she's, you know, she's got prospects of, uh, if she can get there, if she can, you know, if she can qualify. So she's currently in China. Uh, she's, she's, Switch nationality, and she's doing her best in the in the final run up. She has a couple of months left to set the qualifying mark to be on the Chinese team for Tokyo. I am fascinated by this story, and I'm fascinated because Canadians aren't used to this. Mm. You know, Canadians. I think I think the more com- common type of I don't even know what the right word is. It's defection, I guess. I don't even know. Is is f- from another country 
to Canada. Um, you know, Ben Johnson, Donovan Bailey, they, they come to mind. And, you know, in reading the, the National Post article that you linked to, I mean, there were some real issues with it, I thought, you know, um, and, and you mentioned that as well. Like, what, 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 were, what, what issues did you have with the article? Well, this is, you know, from her, from her point of view, she's, you know, she's 22, 23, she she just she just wants to she just wants to do sports she just wants to to do the heptathlon and be the best she can can she uh, be the best that she can be she clearly feels uh, at least in 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 part i mean she is half chinese um she has this great sporting heritage and you you know you, then you read about the history and, and her her grandmother was never able to compete at the olympics because at that time China was actually boycotting the Olympics in protest that Taiwan was recognized by the IOC. So she was she would have been competing for China at the Olympics, but never got that chance. And so, you know, this this dream has kind of lived on in her grandchildren. And in fact, her um, her, her her grandson is an ice hockey player, and he was hoping at one time to to play for the Chinese ice hockey team. So there's another angle there as well, and it's just a great sporting story. But what this National Post article did was tie in all the geopolitics of, you know, uh, of Canada and China, uh, and there's a lot of issues, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, and basically link her to this. And she got quite upset, and, and quite rightly, I think. She contacted the journalist and said, why are you, you know, this has been something that I have, have been doing, uh, trying to... Uh, qualify as a Chinese athlete for, for several years, why are you now writing about it today? Well, she just technically received her her, her, her papers, I think, her Chinese papers, and, and she would just been competing at the, the Chinese National Games. So it's kind of in the news. Um, but more than that, it really sparked a wave of, of, of horrible stuff online. Where there's a point where she had to close down her social media accounts. People, like you said, calling her a, a traitor and, and, uh, and you know, all this just 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 the worst of of social media where, where is she now she's here in china yeah, yeah she's in china she was just in uh competing at the national games um last weekend uh she won it pretty comfortably and it was actually a personal best so better than the score that where she won uh commonwealth silver but the qualifying standard is pretty high um so apparently she was not that happy according to uh, to media reports because she's she's kind of bummed she she wants to make that make the grade and I really hope she can uh, unfortunately instead of being a great story if she makes the Chinese team she's going to kind of be this lightning rod um, uh, at least she kind of has a bit of a heads up and hopefully she can kind of guard against it better and sort of protect against some of the negative headlines that will probably attach to her um, but yeah it's for me it was just a really nice you know a, an Olympic dream of a grandmother's that's been more than 60 years in the making um, it's, 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 it's a classic, it, it, one of the best Olympic stories, you know, that's what it should be about. And unfortunately it's not. What stories are on your radar right now? Okay. Uh, there's one that really, that really kind of stands out for the Olympics. Um, and it's ice hockey. This is, despite my British accent, I'm actually half Canadian. So, I, so I can't skate at all, but it's probably somewhere in my blood that, Listen, I, I am Canadian, and you're you're t you're talking to the one Canadian who never learned how to ice skate. So okay. you know you're in good company. Anyway, I like I I, I really like ice hockey. Um, and when it comes to the Winter Olympics, it's one of the it's it's one of the blue ribbon events. It doesn't always happen that the host nation gets given a berth, but 
China effectively convinced the International Ice Hockey Federation to give it berths in the men's and the women's ice hockey tournaments. Now, there's only 12 teams in the men's and there's eight teams in the women. The women's, um, it's a little bit less... Uh, um, I I guess the, the difference in, in level, in, in, in quality, is not quite as pronounced because... Uh, women's ice hockey is is still sort of in its infancy in terms of professional. It's kind of had some stop-start leagues and bankruptcy and some issues with that. Um, and so the Chinese women could conceivably that they, they can at least compete or at least not be too bad. Um, the Chinese men, on the other hand, uh, they just haven't really had enough time. Um, when this was announced, when the Olympics were announced, the best kids were kind of 14, 15. And then the level dropped off pretty precipitously. And so these players were going to be 18, 19 by the time that the Olympics come around. That's not enough to, to be to be competitive. That's assuming everything goes brilliantly for their development. So what you have is, and there's a couple of things at play here, but what you have is a Chinese team which is too young, um, too inexperienced, not nearly good enough, um, somehow drawn in a division with not just Canada, but the US as well, they will have to play round-robin games against both these two teams. And the NHL players who didn't play four years ago in Korea are likely, and again, this hasn't been confirmed, but likely to come back for Beijing 2022. So you've got the best players in the world playing against basically Chinese kids. Now, the other angle at play is that China has been trying to recruit the best ethnically Chinese North Americans... Uh, for the last few years. But again, very long story, but the club size, Kunlun Red Star, that um, has recruited many of these players and was basically entrusted with this program of, of recruiting ethnically Chinese North Americans for the Chinese national team, they've somehow fallen out with the Chinese Ice Hockey Association. No one really seems to know how or why, but it's become very political and it now looks very unlikely that these sort of ringers, who are still not anywhere near the NHL um, all-star level, but at least they could be competitive or at least boost the team to make them okay, they're not, it looks like, going to get passports. And so you've got the kind of the original Chinese Olympic squad, which is, I think, up in Shenyang, um, training on their own. And they are nine months away from playing against Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby. Wow. the world, the world's best, and it's not going to be pretty, and it, and it's it's it basically a car crash waiting to happen, and um, I don't know. It, there's a there's a lot of things at play here, but yeah. really, the International Ice Hockey Federation shouldn't have given China that automatic berth at that stage without knowing how how the development was going to go. On the bright side, there will be a lot of goals. There will be. Mark Dreyer is the China Sports Insider. You can find him on chinasportsinsider.com or on Twitter at DreyerChina. That's D-R-E-Y-E-R China. Thanks for coming, Mark. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark Dreyer. Next week on the Beijing Sessions, I'm planning something a little different. Check back next week to see if it works out. I'll talk to you then.